Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at RiderFlex. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the RiderFlex show for updates on new episodes. And by the way, if you haven't already, check out the book we recently launched, The RiderFlex Guide, Inspiring and Hiring, available for purchase on Amazon. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Matt Pohl on the RiderFlex podcast. Hello, Matt. How are you? Hey, Steve. Good good to see you. Uh, did we meet at one of Mark Newhall's things? From Is that is that how we know each other? Because you did you work with Mark Newhall at Corporate Express? You know, I did work with Mark. Um, interesting enough, uh, he was in kind of an executive level, and I was the head of the the corporate business intelligence group. We were building a corporate data warehouse, and uh, he was kind of a customer, kind of an internal customer of my team. So I do know Mark. Uh, it's been a number of years, though. Okay, I, I could. I was looking at your profile, and I'm like, man, is that how I know Matt? I don't know. You know. I went to several of those Mark Newhall Christmas parties and most of the time I got hammered. So I really don't remember much. <laughs> <laughs> I was not that close to Mark. He he was out in the East coast, right? Um, He was then, but he lives in Denver now. He lives okay. In Denver. Okay. I, I know, knew he had been here in Denver, but I, I thought, uh, not corporate okay. express had bought one of his companies or his company and brought him on and something um, like that. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Like that. yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, we got to know Mark. Mark is actually uh, on the advisory board for our recruiting firm, RiderFlex. Oh, uh, that's great. We, yeah. Yeah. We became friends and I went to a few Christmas parties. Really quick story. This is a good one. One year we're at this Christmas party at Mark's downtown and uh, several hours into it, you know, and my wife comes over. She's kind of like tugging on my shirt a little bit. And she's like, Hey, she's like, Hey, it's, and we were, we, we were staying in the hotel where he was having the party. So we were staying downtown. She goes, Hey, it's time to go. Up okay. to the room." She goes, Hey, it's time to go up to the room. And I go, well, why? She goes, because you're slobbering on people and you're slurring your words. It's time to go to the room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell, tell tale signs, right? Uh, <laughs> go get some <laughs> sleep <laughs> uh, anyway good. anyway you're in denver right yeah uh denver um grew up in iowa in uh, a small town uh on the mississippi uh, called oh. burlington and um but i've been out in denver since kind of the college years i started school in iowa um and uh, finished up at the university of denver so been You've here been over here. 30 30 years oh. so Oh, man, you've seen a lot of changes, my friend. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We came out during kind of the oil bust and every every block had a HUD home on it. And, you know, so but we, we've seen some really great things out here in Colorado and still love it. Have you been up north lately to uh, up by Loveland where the Shields is like 34 and I-25 with Shields? Have you been up there lately? I mean, oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Um, my, yeah, we we go up to Shields, love the store. My daughter went to UNI up in uh, Greeley. So we, we've we even seen that, you know, she's a few years out of school. So, um, you know, seen the growth there. And um, 
we're, we're an entrepreneurial family. And so uh, my daughter and her, her husband and us uh, have bought some uh, car washes up in Longmont. And so we're kind of up in that area, uh, not too infrequently. So good idea. Um, we moved to Johnstown, Colorado, which is right there uh, where they're right. building, where, where they're building a Bucky's by the way. <laughs> really? Yes. I, the, I didn't know that. John, the Johnstown exit on the West side, there's going to be a Bucky's. Okay. hundred oh, gas, really? gas pumps. <laughs> told my wife well, i'm like when we moved here 17 years ago johnstown had one stoplight yeah yeah <laughs> well you know at least it's not lewisville which said that they're not going to build any more gas stations so oh they did um, okay. yeah they passed an ordinance no more gas stations so mm-hmm. i guess they'll come up to johnstown to, to fill up yes you know <laughs> I love the fact that my home value has gone up a bunch, you know, over the years. I think that's great, but I wish we could do it without getting more people. <laughs> yeah, that's a challenge, right? Yeah, it's crazy how much building is going up. Um, it's crazy. But, that's crazy. You know, so, the reality is, is we love Colorado for a reason. It, right, it makes true. sense that other people would fall in love with it too, right? So, <laughs> Colorado, sucks. Colorado sucks. Nobody move here. It's terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. horrible. Snows are horrible. Here. Yeah. <laughs> Did you grow uh, up here? Or? No, no, no. I grew up in Oklahoma, so uh oh, okay. Small town in Oklahoma, so we got some got some similarities there. Uh Okay. My graduating high school class had about 150 in it. How about you? We had about 300. We were like the big uh high school in that area. We were kind of in the the major high school athletic conference, but we were kind of away from Iowa doesn't really have a lot of metropolitan areas. You know, they've got Des Moines and the Quad Cities, and then you got everything else. So, uh, but uh, we had thirty thousand. So for Iowa, that was a medium-sized town. What did your folks do? Um, well, this is an interesting part of my story. Um, you know, my my dad had his own business growing up. He was an interior designer, and. Um, just a, a small family-owned business. My mom worked for him doing the books. My oh. aunt uh, did draperies. My my grandpa did the upholstery. So a lot of custom high-end uh, furniture and and uh, custom interior design. And you know that's that's what I knew growing up was dad and mom working and dad working tons of hours. And then in the 80s, well, really it was the 70s, the end of the 70s, you know, the economy was in bad shape. And um, my dad's business didn't make it. Um, ah. So after almost 20 years, he was in his early 50s. Um, I was just getting into high school. And uh, my, you know, my dad said, hey, you know, we're going to close the business. They went down to the store, locked the doors and kind of walked away. Mm. And um you know, my dad never recovered, really. I, I I was too young to really understand it. I understand it better now. Mm-hmm. But looking back, I can clearly see that he never recovered from that. This was his true life passion. He was incredibly talented and artistic. Um, it was just who he was, as, as most entrepreneurs are, right? Their, their business really carries their personal DNA. Mm-hmm. And to close that up, when he had been doing it for 20 years, really most of his working life and going into his later years, he just, he, he lost it. He, he never quite found his groove again. He worked for other people, worked in 
furniture stores downtown Denver after moving out here. And why they um, why they move? Did he move for a job when he closed, or why they move? Yeah, yeah. So they struggled in Iowa for about four years. They were on food stamps. Um, you know, it it was you know mm-hmm. from upper middle class to you know going to the to the food place to get some food to survive on and, and when you're uh, like when you're like a freshman in high school which is tough on the ego as a, as a yeah team. yeah exactly i mean i i left uh for college so some of the last the last year or two of that where it got real bad um you know their their stove stopped working so they had a little you know the gas camping stove on, on in the kitchen that's what they ate off of the last couple of years and this is and we used to go to vacations. My dad, we had a beautiful home. Um, mm. Anyway, so yeah, it was very tough. Um, and so they ended up moving out to Colorado. They were looking at Florida or Colorado. They decided Colorado. I'm so glad they did. And um, that kind of set a chain reaction. Uh, I ended up moving out there uh, kind of mid-year, mid midway through my college years. And um I see. You'll never really look back. So, okay. And do you have siblings? Uh, I'm the youngest of four. Uh, my two, two sisters still are Midwest in the Midwest, in Iowa, and Illinois, and my brother's out in uh, uh, Oregon. Okay, very good. What kind of kid were you? Uh, were you like a straight A student at the library every day, going to I, uh, church I, three I times was, a week? What, 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 yeah, where, where I, were you? I, I was. I was kind of the Boy Scout kind of kid. I was, right. uh, you know, I had rabble rousers in the middle. You know, I, I think we, our family of four really fit the stereotype of, you know, oldest and youngest and middle. Uh, so the rebellious ones were in the middle. I saw they were rebellion, so I tried to be good. And, um, um, you know, I was kind of a serious kid. Um, I, I had good friends, played in sports, you know, did, you know, graduate top of my class kind of a thing. Um, I just took things seriously. I always have applied myself. It, it comes in part from my my faith that I believe that I'm given gifts and that someday I have to stand in front of somebody and say, what did I do with those gifts? So um, uh, it's kind of this life motivator that says everything I have, I need to give 100%. In. And so that that's kind of translated to academics and then into business success. And, okay. Um, and I think you, it's okay. You mentioned faith. Yeah. So your family, your family that came from your mom and dad, they were. Uh, uh, yeah, we we grew up in kind of a very, I would say, Catholic, more Christian, than traditional. What, what, what uh, you... It was a Protestant denomination, uh, okay. and it was, uh, I would say, close to Amish, but still, you can drive cars and have electricity. It was very, it was a kind of a, a small German uh, based. Um, okay church called the apostolic christian church and wow. um you know it was interesting to grow up in it's not it's not uh it shaped my faith in many ways but i've moved to i would say a more traditional uh non non-denominational kind of a faith well, is really what i adhere to well damn when you got to when you went got to denver in 1986 your mind was like you're like, oh, whoa, this is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. It was it was quite a, a awakening and in a good way. Right. It it was, you know, how does how does this kind of faith really work in in the real world? You know, <laughs> yeah, right. and uh, yeah, so it, it was challenging and really grew me. Uh, but, um, you know, that's been 
continue to be an important aspect of my life. Good for you. What's the worst? All right. What's the worst thing you ever did? Did you ever smoke pot? No, no, I, I didn't do what? that. You I, never I tried. Come on, no, now. Come on even, now, Matt. Matt, Matt, come on. I don't even drink alcohol. So I'm. Have uh, you ever drank alcohol? Oh, on a rare occasion, on a rare occasion I have, okay. but it's very rare. And it was one of those, you know, those uh, in eighth grade where they bring the, the ex-smoker in to the auditorium and they're <laughs> and talking listening. through the thing and they're like, oh, never, you know, don't ever smoke. And it was like, yeah. oh, my God, I'm never doing any of that stuff. <laughs> so I made a vow then to not, not you know, to to take care of this, this body uh, that I'm getting. Yeah. And, um, you, you know, like shape, by the way. we yeah. we. I believe in having fun. We laugh a lot in life. Uh, we we play board games and card games. We we have a lot of fun as a family. Okay. okay. And uh, it just isn't uh, through imbibement. So. Okay, I'm not going to tell you about all my sins then. I'm not going. Okay. Oh, <laughs> we we all we all have those. We all have a long list. We all have just, something. What? All right. What is your vice? What What is your what is your, when you, uh, when you, cause I have a little, you know, but by, by the way, I grew up in Oklahoma. So, uh, uh, I, I wouldn't say it was hardcore Pentecostal, but, uh, we were in church a lot and my mom is still, yeah. my mom is still like full on, you know, every time I see her, she's trying to resave me. And I'm like, mom, how many, like how many times do I got to be saved? I thought it was a one-time deal. Yeah. One-time deal. <laughs> <laughs> my point is, my point is, what was my point? Uh, what was what was my uh what what, what are my vices I, yeah I, yeah what 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 do you what do you ask forgiveness for when you say your little prayer in the morning because i have i have a daily prayer even though i sin okay. constantly i sin right. constantly but i have a daily prayer and i have like two or three things that i, I kind of hit hit on you know what is your well, vice like, what are you like hey i'm there sorry there are some I, vices that are probably personal but um I, I would say you know um <laughs> I, I struggle with pride um, okay. Okay. and arrogance sometimes. Um, I I struggle to be um, um, well as a as a husband. You know, just being a good husband and making sure I'm loving my wife and and growing her and being patient with her. Um, you know, that, that's an area that's a constant challenge. And and as as just a man, sometimes I'm. I'm I'm not emotionally in touch uh, as my wife would like me to be. Welcome to the welcome where, to the club with all the rest of us. Yeah, so I, I would say where I fall, it, it's kind of in that arena. Uh, that's okay. that's where I I kind of put my foot in my mouth <laughs> the most. Appreciate, appreciate you sharing that. You're we're about the same age, isn't it? Interesting. I wrote a long letter to my two grown sons. I have a 32 year old and a 28 year old. I wrote a long letter, and it was titled "Women." Uh -huh. <laughs> I was like, here's what I've learned. Here's uh, what I've learned. Here's what I've learned. You, you can either yeah. learn the hard way or you can learn from your dad, right? <laughs> Take it or leave. Uh, but, and and yeah. but one of the things I told him is, you know, as you get older, as a man, as you get older, your your patience level, your understanding of how different they are from you and, and learning not to try to change them and just accepting like, oh, wow, they are different and that's cool and I love them for that and I'm different and I'm not – you just learn all these things, and as you get older, you know, especially when you hit your fifties, man. Yeah. By then you're 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 like, okay, I got this, I got this down pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Well, we uh, we've been married thirty five years this year. Oh, we've good. got 
Good for We've you. got four four kids, two boys, two girls, about cool. your, the age of yours, kind of spanning that. Cool. And, um, you know, I think one of the revelations that come out, uh, two of them are married, three of them are married, and uh, one's one single. But um, some of our kids, you know, they're they're having conflict in their marriage. Wow, sure, what, what a young. surprise. Yeah, but, yeah. but they come to us and they said, well, you guys didn't ever struggle with this. And they said, no, you don't understand. Our job as a parent is to isolate you from those those conflicts so that you kind of think we didn't have them. But here's the real thing. Your mom and I, we irritate each other all the time, but we love each other more than we irritate each other. So we we just work through it. So. Yeah, my wife, my my wife, Kim, although she is my second marriage, we've been married for over 20 years. So, oh, wow. Okay. We got it. I got married super young. You know, in Oklahoma, they don't, they don't, they don't teach you to like get in a college education first and then get married. They, anyway, been married (laughs) for a long time. Your grandfather, too. How many grandkids? Uh, Six with the seventh on the way. Whoa. Okay. It's busy. Oh, it's busy at your house at Thanksgiving. Oh, it's, it's, uh, absolute chaos, but it's, uh, it's exhilarating and exciting. And then when they go home, it's, uh, it's, it's like, wow, why did we have them over again? We got to clean up all this mess. But, uh, yeah, fortunately the grandkids are cute enough that it's worth it. Um, for a day, for a day or two. I mean, yeah, yeah. for a day, that's for a day. We, we do, we've done some vacations together. We, we like to do that every few years, but, um, um, anyway, we, we have a lot of fun and, um, we got three, one daughter has three boys, one daughter has three girls. So when the, and they're, they're, uh, at one point we had six that were, I think five and under. Yeah. Five and under. So. It was woo, uh, woo. it was nuts. They're, it's getting a lot more fun because they can go and entertain themselves a little bit more. I so. totally agree. Oh, I couldn't agree yeah. more. From from like uh, from like five six years old until around eleven. I always say that like from five to eleven, that is a magical period right there. It, it is. It is. I I start liking them around three, and uh, <laughs> you know. Two sometimes, but three is usually kind of a sweet age. But you're right. There's that middle section where they are they are quite wonderful. Um till they hit so, puberty till they hit puberty and they know everything all of a sudden. That's rough. And then they then they get old and then they get married, then they're twenties and then they even know anymore. But then they start to realize that Bingo. mom and dad aren't aren't quite so Bingo. ignorant. And um Bingo. I find that happening around from mid to late twenties. they now my my sons call me for advice now more than they ever have, and they're like, right. you know, they're like, Dad, what about this? Dad, what about that? But boy, when they were twenty two, yeah. like, oh man, they're not going to call me for advice when they're twenty two unless the sky is falling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Uh, sounds like a wonderful that's family, true. man. Congratulations! Wow, what what's your wife do? Uh, she and I have been business partners for twenty years, so uh, it's. Uh, had to learn that and that that has been part of the challenge, you know, working together and nice. staying married and uh, raising kids, you know, all that combined is, uh, add some unique dynamics. But, um, you know, I think we've, like you said, once you get in your fifties, I think the thing I learned was I need my wife to be successful in business. And before, you know, I, I think I thought that, but, um, uh, I now know it without a doubt. And and 
and vice versa. We've, we've really learned that we're best when we play to our strengths because we're so different mm-hmm. and we bring some really unique capabilities to any organization that we're involved in. And when we, you know, there's areas that we both like to get into and, and we butt heads on that, but you sure. know, in those areas that we really have our core strengths, um, we really bring a lot to an organization. And um, so that's, that's what we do together is we build businesses. We, she, she loves real estate. So she's done a lot in real estate, but okay. we say she, she likes to build real estate, buy and sell real estate. I like to buy and, and sell uh, businesses. And you have a few businesses and entities now, like do you split up like uh do you split the functional duties or do you split managing the entity overall itself? How do you split your duties up with your wife? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I don't know that we figured out exactly the correct way, but there are some businesses that are more focused on my skill set. So I, I lead those. They're like small specialty consulting okay. companies that play off my expertise. Um, okay. Like in the commercial right. welding business, we, we we work both in it and we kind of have functional areas or areas of responsibility that uh, we own. Um, and then uh, she she basically handles the real estate. That's her gig. And okay. um, th- then we have uh, like with our oldest daughter and her husband, we have uh, several car washes and we kind of tag they kind of own that. And my wife and I, we kind of fill in the gaps when uh, they need help or strategic ideas or, you know, those kinds of things. What happens at Thanksgiving dinner when, when your, your kids are over and there's a car wash discussion and you're like, listen, I think we should put in new vacuums. And your daughter's like, mm, no, I don't think we need new vacuums. And you have a little debate. What happens? You flip a coin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're, you know, um, I would say if we could be an Italian, stereotypical Italian uh, family, but we're not. I'm German. My wife's Korean. Uh, but we, we have real strong uh, beliefs. Uh, we've we've really raised our kids to have strong opinions and, and to stand up for those. Okay. Uh, we do it in a, a um, I wouldn't say always calm, but in a non-degrading in a positive way so we have strong debates and share opinions and then usually my wife usually makes the final decision it's <laughs> kind of where it comes down to um, she has an intuition that uh, usually goes beyond my analytical skill set so uh you know when it comes to really you know gray areas you know my wife usually gets the last call because she's usually right so <laughs> I like that. Uh, your wife's Korean. That brings up an interesting t- topic. How'd you meet her? Um, interesting, uh, interesting uh, story. Um, okay. In our high school, uh, we had multiple uh, middle schools that came into the high school. Okay. And uh, so in ninth grade, um, our different high schools or middle schools came together. And um, our our last names happened to be you know, alphabetically right next to each other out of 350 kids in our class. And so we had lockers next to each other. We had homeroom together. And um, I was a little bit dense back then. And uh, so it took me a while to to realize she liked me. And she says she tells the grandkids that she she chased me for several years before she caught me. 
And the grandkids just love that. And I think it's because they actually think that like she was physically chasing me you know, around the yard <laughs> when she caught me. But uh, so we started dating in uh, between our sophomore and junior year in high school. And uh, then we got married after college. So yeah. we've, did, you, did you go to college together or what happened there? No, she, she was not the academic side of things. She's uh, she grew up in kind of a blue collar work and hospitality okay. industry. So even at a young age, she was cooking in a restaurant, 24 hour restaurant, even in high school. And uh, she kind of pursued that that uh, kind of careers. So she's been in blue collar, then stayed home to raise our kids. And then we started our own business. And uh, that was kind of our first business. Yeah, but when together. you when you went off to when you went off to college in Denver, what happened? When you went to Colorado, what was it a long distance or what happened there? Yeah, so it was two years of long distance. She, well, one year of long distance, she stayed in our hometown. I was kind of cent- central uh, Iowa for the first couple of years. But uh, between, uh, after my freshman year, she ended up uh, she had opened a restaurant. She was on a restaurant. Uh, Opening, opening team, team or okay. Perkins Perkins restaurants uh, back then, okay. and okay. she opened a opened up a restaurant in Colorado Springs, and just just fell in love with it. It just so happened my parents had moved out, and uh, she decided to move out as well. And that so, out. okay, yeah, cool, yeah. So that worked out. I I ended up moving out a year later. Uh, so she was she was working two or three jobs at that time while I was going to college, and then. Um, you know, after college, we got married and not that she stopped working less, but uh, just was more focused on raising the kids until we uh, started our first business. Okay, very cool. One more question on your wife, because this is, I think this is interesting. Was Were her parents immigrants? Were they first into the U.S.? Were they born here? Because, or was she, and then, and then what was their, because your faith is obviously very strong. How did that tie into their faith? I'm wondering how that worked. Because sometimes yeah. that might, that, that might have, I'm not wondering if that was, was that a challenge? Yeah. Talk to me about that. Well, there's a, a unique dynamic there in that she was adopted. So she, uh, I see. she, she, she was born in, in Korea, okay. Okay. grew up in an orphanage and uh, she was 10 years old when she was adopted by a family okay. in my hometown. I see. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And then, all right. And then had the same faith or she can't, she had a faith background a little bit. Going up, well, not not really, not really, you know. Um, although interesting, you know, the uh, the, the orphanage system that she came through was a Christian organization, uh, but uh, you know, she she didn't pursue or have much of a, mm-hmm. a, a Christian upbringing and you know, kind of found that you know later in life. Okay, did she ever find out who her real, real parents? Have you guys ever gone over to Korea and hunted anything down? No, no, no. it's one of those. You know, it's a hard question to know if you want to know the answer to, right? So, bro, it, it dude, yeah. So she's never done the uh, those DNA swab sins or thing. No, okay, no, no. We did, we did get to Seoul a few years ago, and that was that was really wonderful. Okay, uh, but uh, you know that's. One of those it's it's a yeah, tough one yeah it's you know uh, it's a tough one and i'll tell the listeners in case anybody's curious here's the deal unless you're comfortable finding out stuff that you may not want to find out <laughs> don't send it in because yeah. uh i can almost guarantee you 50 percent of the time something's going to come back and you're going to be like huh grandpa 
wait a minute, hold on. It shows that Grandpa had a kid over here, but he wasn't married to that lady. What, what's going on? Like, you're gonna find stuff like that out. I guarantee you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's so it's human nature, right? It's sometimes it's best not to. Anyway. Okay. Cool. So yeah. when when you're going to school, um, did you know? What you wanted to do, I mean, you know, by the time you got to Denver, were you, did you know what you wanted to do? Because you had that early entrepreneurial bug, of course, from your dad. Did you kind of know or walk, walk me through that? Because at some point you were ma you you were majoring in business, but then you got a master's of science, uh, you know, uh, at the University of Colorado. So I'm kind of wondering, what, what was your plan? Yeah, so... Like I said, I, I was a pretty serious person. So I, I had kind of an idea okay. of where my strengths were. Um, All right. All right. But even then, I, I changed my major, my focus a number of times. So I kind of thought computer science going into it, you know, this is where, I mean, the first IBM computer PC was coming out. So there's a pretty big uh, changes going on in technology. So I thought technology um and then I took some economics classes at, uh, I went to a school called Central College in Pella, Iowa, and uh, just had this wonderful professor. And, you know, like a lot of times in, in college, you get this one professor that kind of changes you. And this this professor did that. I just fell in love with economics. And um, so I was like, okay, I think it's economics. Uh, transferred from Central College after two years at the University of Denver. And... Um, the DU University of Denver program in economics was, I just wasn't happy with it. And so it was like, okay, now what do I do? And I took an operations research class, uh, which is like applied statistics. And it was like, oh, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Because I'm, 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 I'm a problem solving, problem -solving analytical, analytical kind of a person. person. And, um, and um, Your internet, your internet hanging up. Is your, I'm getting a little uh, feedback on my audio. Test, test. I want to move my mic back a tad uh, for the listeners. We're okay. just making an adjustment here. By the way, has my internet been jamming up? Are you getting choppy from me? No, no. Okay, I'm, good. I'm good, seeing, good, you good. seeing you good. Okay, good, good, good. And all right, go ahead. Uh, you were, you were, you were about to say how analytical you were and logical, and you have no emotion and no creativity. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> just joking. Just joking. You. <laughs> Yeah, no, the, the reality is that I got some of my, I, I have creativity, but not artistic yeah. ability, I would say, from my dad. Um, okay. All right. So I like to, I like to problem solve and I like, I like figuring things out. And so that's okay. what uh, the, the program was called Decision Sciences uh, at the University of Denver. And that's what I ended up studying. So it's some pretty heavy statistics. But modeling and optimization and uh, kind of manufacturing a little bit, looking at optimization in, in manufacturing and other areas. And okay. so it's just all these kind of quantitative methods for making decisions is what, what the program was about. All right. Very good. Okay. So you get out of school. Get out of school. Um, My first job is with the federal. Reserve Bank in downtown Denver in a management training program. Love it. Um, really great, great place to land out of school. A little bit, you know, it's quasi-governmental, so not quite as um, aggressive maybe as a public, you know, as uh, as a private uh, yeah, but still, organization. But, still but great, just some really great, great people. Yeah. I had some great mentors there. They really taught me a lot. Uh, even some peers that I worked with that really – 
uh, grew me a lot. And so was in that for two to three years and um, while working. So I was working there, starting to have kids, yep. doing doing my master's degree at night, you know, uh, burning all three candles <laughs> into mm. three, three sins. But, you know, mm. uh, pushing myself and then um, uh, decided that I wanted to get into consulting. And so uh, landed an opportunity with Arthur Anderson, which at the time was the uh, world's largest professional services firm and just a top-notch organization. And um, I worked in a kind of a unique consulting practice there called litigation consulting. Mm. And so our clients were companies and attorneys involved in complex litigation. And... um, it, it played off my problem solving and okay. data and, and analytical skills. And I, my master's degree was in information systems. So I picked up database and systems architecture and, and things like that. Mm. Uh, you lasted there for six and a half years, which is uh, above average, I bet, for tenure at Arthur Anderson, because they burned through consultants pretty, pretty, pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, totally. And, uh, the group I worked with, uh, I worked with a, a great partner. He was, he was a bit of a machine, though. I mean, he, he worked harder than anybody I'd ever worked with in my life. And um, he, he in particular, uh, you know, had challenges not, not uh, burning through people. So when I left after six years, I had worked longer for him than I think anybody in his <laughs> career. And uh, yeah. Uh, you know, great deal of respect for him, but you know, the people side of things was not his, his strength. And, um, but in six years, I got about 10 years of experience. Yeah, no, no doubt. Plus, plus, yeah. I mean, that, there's, you know, nothing against those folks, but work-life balance wasn't really a, a term they used at Arthur Anderson back then. And you were trying to have a family and your wife is probably like, Hey, uh, please stop working 80 hours a week. Cause I need help over here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. By that time we were about ready to have our fourth and, okay. and, right. uh, I just needed a, needed, needed a break traveling yeah. too much and just put sure. in too many hours. For sure. Then, uh, what corporate express, did you get a call from a recruiter or you knew somebody? I uh, just started looking. Um, I had the work I had been doing kind of paralleled what at that time was kind of a, a new, a new area for technology called data warehousing. And okay. so, um, one thing about, litigation consulting is you're you're brought in when there's a big lawsuit against a company so you're always brought in when there's this kind of negative thing going on against the company yes. uh, or litigation by its nature it's just it's made of conflict right and yeah. uh, you don't really control deadlines and stuff like that so it's kind of a unique work environment there and I wanted to get to a place where it's like hey I want to I want to use data to help a company you know, in a proactive way, you know, to better the business instead of just trying to ward off, uh, you know, a, a lawsuit. And yeah. so I uh, just started looking and uh, ended up getting hired by uh, by Corporate Express and worked for um, really bright um, uh, gentleman there who is heading up the, uh, the business intelligence uh, data architecture kind of environment he he was really the one that was spearheading the data warehouse team and so i came in uh kind of underneath him and uh 
a, a year or so later, uh, Corporate Express went through some layoffs, and he was one that uh, um, they let go of. They were kind of downsizing this effort. So I ended up becoming the director of business intelligence at that time. So I, I had a nice team that was building a, a real sophisticated and powerful data warehouse. And um, but at night, anyway, but it was just a great experience. But I had evenings to spend at home then. So. <laughs> And, and the uh, entrepreneurial bug that was born inside of you many years ago was stirring. It was. Uh, now you you caught it just right because um, I had worked at a quasi-governmental entity at the Federal Reserve, Arthur Anderson, high-end, high-demand accounting firm, uh, Corporate Express, uh, an actually very functional large corporation with high expectations and a lot of good people. Um, but it was still a corporation. And at some point I said, you know, I, I don't want to be just, you know, uh, a piece of the cog of the machine. I want to be able to impact things and I, I want to have my own business. And so, uh, that's when, you know, kind of mid thirties had four small kids left a six figure income and no insurance and walked out into the world and, you know, being the brilliant entrepreneur I am, this was three months after 9-11. Uh, you know, the economy's just roaring and uh, opened up our first office with uh, my wife and um, went nine months without any revenue. Um, we were down to a Toyota Corolla and all four kids sitting in the back seat um, and wondering what I had done. Wow. Uh, and and then we got our first client and um, it just wow. started to grow from there. And so, wow. wow. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a breath right there. That's a good for the listener. This is really good. Right. So I can just imagine you come home. What's your wife's name? Dawn. Dawn. You come home. You're like, yeah. Dawn, Dawn. Hey, look, here's the deal. I know I'm making like 200 grand a year. I know I got four small kids and you don't work, but, and I know nine 11 just happened and the market is shit right now, but I'm going to quit. And she goes, Okay, well, how much is this going to pay? This new gig, how much is it going to pay? And you're like, well, um, I don't know for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Big fat question mark there. <laughs> I, I don't know for sure. She's like, what about insurance? And you're like, uh, well, um, we're going to be on Cobra for a while or whatever you did. I don't know. Yeah, that's right. You, right. You know, uh, yeah, she's like, um, yeah, okay, well, I love you and um, I support you, but please don't mess this up. <laughs> well we had been talking about it and she knew uh, i was unhappy and uh, you know, i think especially you know i believe that especially for men our our work really defines who we are in a great deal and for me it's it's always been important that i'm doing something i believe in um and that i'm growing from and i felt like i had kind of hit the limit there at corporate gotcha. express yeah. and interesting i i said i'm going to start two businesses one is data warehousing consulting and one is this legal consulting kind of like okay. what i did at arthur anderson okay. and so i figured okay two two horses in the race give me a better shot of <laughs> uh, uh. And, uh so i i got some i i did have a thinking back i i had a data warehousing gig that took me through 9-11 it was after 9-11 that we opened up our first office for a litigation consulting business uh so i had been out on my own for about a year but at 9-11 my my data warehousing gig basically ended 
because uh, of, you know, they needed to cut costs right away. So, um, yeah, so then that was kind of the, we had saved up a lot of the money I'd done, you know, gained from the uh, consulting yeah, gig. Yeah, but you're burning through that pretty fast. <laughs> oh, yeah. So fast. So fast. Oh, it was, it was. And, it's not like, and, and you're not a trust fund baby. So it's not like you can just call mom and dad. <laughs> no, no, my my parents. I had been supporting them in some way, in some shape, you know, for yeah. for a few years. But um, yeah, no, it's it it was um, stressful. It was it was, re, it was defining for us. Uh, we have a picture of that first office that it was just a it was a rat's nest. It was a former Alcoholics Anonymous meeting room, <laughs> and it was just the from all the smoke, you know, the the panels on the roof were just black and. Yeah, it was just it was horrible. And so That's we spent the, the kids' Christmas break that year. Uh we were just tearing up, we were fixing it up ourselves. I you know, I'm not a carpenter, but I put up some walls and you know, we did some stuff. Um and this picture of us is of the kids with their painting clothes and and uh you know, paint all over them. And we call this picture uh, uh a family under construction. Ooh, and, I love it. I love it. Is that still hanging in an office somewhere? You still got it hanging up? We we still have it. And it's uh it's right. kind of those, you know, you, you get those little snapshots through life. And that Ooh. one was, I think, a real defining one for us. That's so wonderful. Oh wow, that's great. Okay, so you ran that business for what 16 years. Um, which is by the way, hey, Anybody that starts a business and has it for 16 years and makes a living off of it for their family for 16 years, that is a victory, my friend. I mean, that is not a small thing. So for all of you listeners out there, when you see LinkedIn, when you see these little LinkedIn profiles and you see somebody like business owner, founder, 16 years, like they supported their family for 16 years with the business they started, that is a big deal and very hard to do. So. Congratulations! Yeah, it is. Ran it that ran it that long. How big did it get? How many, like, how many employees was? What was your max revenue and employee count? Like, how big did you get it? Well, there's really, I, I think of it as two seasons of our business. Right. The first twelve years, and kind of the last three or four years. Um, the first twelve years, we were we had what I would call lifestyle business. Right, it was a business that supported my family and our lifestyle. Uh, Dawn and I worked in it every day. Uh, we ran it, and uh, we we had between eight and twelve employees, kind of fluctuating okay. based on on projects because it was a project based business. Um, <clears throat> yeah. At year at year twelve, we had a business broker approach us and say, "Hey, you know, have you ever thought of selling your business?" And I was like, hmm, "No, not really. I uh, hadn't really thought about it." And he said, well, can I that give you a valuation on your business? I said, okay, that's fine. You know, we sent him all the information. He comes back and the, the valuation on the business, it's like, it, it wasn't nothing, but it's not something that's like, oh, okay, we'll sell it and we don't have to work anymore. Yeah. Um, and Don and I looked at each other. It's like, wow, 12 years, all this risk we've taken, that's all it's worth. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, it wasn't a small number, but. Uh, it wasn't life changing. And so right. it was like, okay, what do we do? What do we do? Or we have another 20 years to work. What are we going to do? And it was like, well, we could just kind of keep on doing what we do. We've been doing it. Which is fine. Which is fine. It's a lifestyle. Right, right. It was supporting your family. Yep. No problem. Nothing wrong Absolutely. with that. Absolutely. It was we were able to save for the 
kids' yeah. college, you know, make some real estate yeah. investments, all this kind of stuff. And yeah. so it was a good business. But to be honest, at, at 12 years, that's the longest I had worked at a in in something. And I was I was feeling a little bit stale. And okay. um, all right. so kind of faced with that, it's like, okay, what do we do? I mean, and so we made a decision. We said, we're going to have to work either way. We got, this is our a good value. It's a good asset, a good business. Let's just make it better. And so if we're going to work hard, let's work different so that we are creating value. And so that kind of set me on this, this uh, journey to say, well, what causes a business to have transferable values that somebody else would want to buy it? And it was at that point that I ran into this this methodology um, that was described in a book called Navigating the Growth Curve. And the author, James Fisher, um, after I read the book, I had been given it by uh, another CEO that was in our business park who uh, he said, hey, this this is the thing that helped me the most. And he had a much bigger business. I said, "Okay, well, you've got a bigger business. Let me read it. And it was very intriguing. And uh, it what at its core is like businesses go through these different stages and you kind of have to know which stage you're in so that you can know how to operate your business at that point. And the story was, it was a business book, but it's written more kind of as a, an analogy, just a story. And yeah. a lot of it, a lot of the, uh, the storyline was in Boulder, Colorado. And it's like, Oh, that's kind of odd. You know, Boulder's a beautiful place, but kind of odd that is right here in Boulder, you know, right, yeah. right down the street from me. And so I researched the author and sure enough, he would, he lived right here, right here in Northern uh, uh, Denver metro area. And so I connected with him, uh, spent about a year going through a, a program with him. And uh, one of the things that I, I'm able to do, one of my strengths is to basically connect dots. So you give me point A, you give me point B, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to make that into C, D, and E. Um, and so I kind of took his methodology and applied it kind of in my own way to the business. And what we saw was, was incredible. It was really unbelievable. Uh, we went from, I think we we're around eight, eight to 10 people around that point, which is considered stage one by this methodology. And um, we started to change things. We started to make uh, the changes to fit the business to the stage of growth we're in and follow the rules for that stage. Okay. And in three years, we went from around eight to 10 people to we were in the 30s, I think around 34 and we that stage three and we were about ready to go into stage four wow. and um it the the crazy thing is during those three years we totally we tripled our business tripled the number of people more than tripled the revenue uh we were last year we were doing about four million um okay. and uh we were we we had hovered for those 12 years we we're eight hundred thousand to 1.2 million was kind okay. of the band you know okay. you get a big pick project and it would be up and then you wouldn't get it the next year. So you're down. And that was 12 years of, of life. And, um, but yeah, we were doing, we were closing in on 4 million in revenue Good by year 15. And um, it was at that point that um, a, um, some executives from one of our biggest competitors came, they had decided to leave a big company, start a new business and they wanted to buy our business as kind of their uh, platform business to launch this new entity 
And um, we'd never gone through that process. It was very foreign. Um, and and yet at the end of the day, Dawn's very good at negotiating. So she negotiated a great deal for us. And what was, what was very intriguing then is at the end of that 15th year, right at the 16th year, we sold the business. And what we sold it for, we could look at that number on paper with a signed agreement and look back at what we had the valuation at year 12. Yeah. And it was, t- it was 10 times the figure. Nice. In, th- in three years, we multiplied the value of the business 10 X and it was this, this um, methodology. It wasn't everything, but it was the core to understanding for me to get unstuck as a business owner. Cause I feel like I'm a, I'm an intelligent person and I'm, I'm a creative person, but I could not figure out the answer. And we had 80% of the answer. It was this missing 10 to 20%, that missing ingredient that I didn't have, that I couldn't think of on my own, that kept me from growing. And once I had this this roadmap, it really allowed us to understand how companies grow. And so, yeah, okay, yeah, now, and I'm assuming, okay, so that leads you right into, okay, I learned a ton, this was successful, how can I now take this since I sold my business? Cause I don't really want to retire. I'm not, I'm not old right. enough to retire. Let's, let's take this knowledge and this experience and all these learnings and turn it into a different service, which takes us to rewild group. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So the, the inventor of the methodology, he saw what we had done uh, with the methodology and okay. he said, you know, I've not really, he, he had not really been able to monetize uh, all his research and all his findings in this uh, this framework that he had developed and that I had personally experienced, you know, success with. And again, it wasn't my invention. Uh, it was his invention. So he, he approached uh, John and I and uh, wanted to see if we could help him monetize his business. And so that's when Rewild Group was formed. Um, okay. We got into a brand new startup business, which I had sworn I would never do again, and <laughs> got into this. And um, you know, start startups are just it's just hard. It's tough. Oh, no but, doubt about it, bro. And uh, yes, absolutely. Being hey, being an employee is way easier than being a startup executive. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and and about a year into it, uh, James said, "You know, man, I'm he, he, he's he's older, you know." Uh, I don't remember his age, but you know, older than me. And he was like, I'm not up to the startup stuff anymore. And I said, I understand, James. I've got too much skin in the game now. Um, so you bought his you bought his shares or bought his units. Yeah, so so I acquired the IP and and okay. the company. And so um so we've been at this about four years, I think. And um and well, you own hundred percent. You you and you yeah, and your wife, yeah. Don own hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we own right. now. James, in in a in a positive way, I think of him as like a mad scientist. He just has all these brilliant ideas, mm-hmm. but that creativity doesn't necessarily make you a good operator. Operator, operator, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, because I had seen the methodology work, and I can connect the dots, I was able to take his methodology that was really only he could really implement it and we had to weed out all the complexity and get to the core uh, truths and principles and so that's what we've done over the past several years 
is to refine it and make it applicable and reusable and scalable. And so that's what we've done. We've created something called organizational rewilding. The name rewilding comes from this kind of scientific idea that ecosystems can get out of balance. Uh, natural ecosystems tend to get out of balance because humans mess with it, right? Um, and so um, rewilding is this idea of understanding what is missing in that ecosystem and infusing that into that ecosystem. So you get back to this natural balance, which really is its natural wildness. And so rewilding is that idea of reestablishing this balance by infusing a missing element. And that's what we do for businesses. We identify what's missing within the ecosystem. We see a business or human organizations as ecosystems, that they're they're complicated. There's many interrelated parts, and it's not a machine that you can just isolate this one part and say, okay, I fixed that cog. Now it's all going to work again. It doesn't work like a watch. It's not that easy. No, it's not that it's, easy. It's not that way. So what you really are trying to do is see from the surface symptoms that you're seeing, what's really going on underneath the uh, underneath that surface and looking for those root causes. And that's what we've developed is the ability to see what's what's unhealthy or or not as strong as it needs to be or completely missing. We infuse those and what it does is it strengthens the organization. It creates these great ripple effects throughout the organization. And it kind of, I wouldn't say totally eliminates, but it mitigates a lot of the the surface pain that is keeping the business from growing. And we okay. use the stages of growth concept to help people know where they are in this, these stages that help them really focus. And what we find is that most businesses, business owners are have 80% of the answer. And what they have the answer on, they're typically doing pretty well. And it's just this these couple missing ingredients that if you add them to it, all of a sudden, something magical happens like it did in my business mm-hmm. uh, when I saw three, 3x three growth in, in three years after being static for a decade. And so that's that's what Rewild Group is doing, is just really trying to help. Uh, our mission is to multiply the number of exceptional businesses. And the reason, uh, and the reason we're focused on that, because we think that work, we see work as being, even with AI out there, <laughs> work is we think a, a central uh, element of the human existence. And, and to be honest, if we get philosophical, that's one of my concerns about AI Agreed. is that we take, we take away this idea of work yep. and purpose and because where else in life are we forced to grow, forced to cooperate with others, build our skills, and we're rewarded monetarily, by the way, but it creates a better version of ourselves. And that's what happens when you work at an exceptional business you create this environment where everybody from the owner to the lowest person in that team is growing as a person they become better they return to their homes a better version of themselves that impacts the community even even at the national level i think it it changes things so that's why we're focused on exception creating these exceptional businesses i want to ask you several follow-up questions about the business but i know we're bumping up on time do you have a few more minutes or do you got to go yes i nope i've got time Okay, I want to ask you some follow-up. I apologize, I'm pushing you past our, our time here. Do you, so often I have seen either working as a CEO for a founder myself, because I ran a couple of $50 million companies before I started RiderFlex and dealt with family founders and all these things. 
and then a lot of a lot of consulting over the years too. Do you see a common problem being the company calls you and they're like, "Hey, we need help." Okay, whatever that is. We, hey, we, we want to go through an exit, or we're 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 trying to get a better valuation because we want to exit, or we're trying to fix something, or we're trying to grow, or we're trying to go from lifestyle to growth business. And then you get in there and you're like, okay, hey, I've I've looked behind the curtain, I pulled back the covers, you start you start giving them the stuff, and then you find out that the founder's like, well, yeah, but we've always done it this way, Matt, and I don't, you know, you know, yeah. do, do you get that a lot? I would say, um, you know, that's not uncommon. And obviously there's there's gradations of that, right? So there's those that are just obstinate, they're not gonna change. But usually if, if they're not wanting to change, they're not gonna ask me to come and look at their business. Um, so, cause I'm, I'm a change agent and our methodology is a change agent. Uh, so I would say most of the time it's more, it's softer than that. It's you okay. get into it and they're just not as supportive as they really need to be. Yep. There may be certain aspects they're not quite sure they believe in. So you may not be able to move the organization as far in that particular area. But um, one of the things um, we do, and by the way, our methodology, what we, our business models, we, we certify business coaches, consultants, advisors around the globe, and they're, they're taking the methodology and use it in their local communities. So it's oh, not so just that, me. Oh, 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 okay. Uh, all right. I missed that. So yeah. the, the business model is you're, you're executing some clients yourself, but you're also franchising this, so to speak, or? If you, it's not a legal franchise, it's really a licensing model. And, okay. but yeah, we certify people on how to do this and then they go, they have their oh. own business consulting practice and they use this. So I would say a very small fraction of my time is actually working directly with the clients at this point because okay. I'm, I'm really focused on, you know, like our, our big push the last 24 months has been writing books. So we've we've published uh, uh, seven and five, 12 books here in the last uh, 24 months um, on making the methodology more accessible to kind of the to do it yourself or uh, through a series of books. Um, yeah, by the by the way, for the listeners on on Matt's LinkedIn profile, Matthew Pole on LinkedIn, he's got a link there. It's very handy that takes you to his author profile page on Amazon, where all the books are listed there. Um, just yeah. you know, for for the listeners, um, yeah, that many books in what time frame? <laughs> uh, about twenty four months. Uh, I, we we've I, been pushing I, out a book. I don't even it's, know how you do uh, that. I don't know how you do yeah, that. Yeah, they're 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 guidebooks in that we, we've intentionally made designed them that they can be read in about an hour because we know that CEOs okay. don't have a lot of extra time right. uh, and they have to be practical. You know, you read most business books, you know, you get through the first two chapters and you still got 10 chapters to go and they've kind of told their story and then they just yeah. seems like they add more stuff to it. We're just very practical. Okay. Uh so that's you got that's, audio uh, audio versions audio version or not? Uh, we we do not. They're just in print and Kindle, uh, so available on Amazon. Okay, um, and by and by the way, if I didn't mention it, it's rewildgroup.com. Um, is so the majority of your business model for you now is finding people to implement your program, and then they they pay you for the license or whatever. Is that the majority of your revenue stream now for the Rewild Group? Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a growing part of that. Um, 
uh, I would say it was just this last year where we were trying to transition out of, you know, really bring doing the consulting ourselves because <clears throat> we knew that long term we had to get the methodology out there totally done, the okay. books available, you know, all these supporting intellectual property so the network can go and do it. And uh, so that that's been our focus over the past 24 months was really moving out of the building it and using it and testing it and all that kind of stuff to now focusing on really two things, making sure business CEOs, business owners are aware of it, and then reaching out to business consultants and advisors, coaches, so that they know that it exists, that they can add the this set of tools to their capabilities. Are you selling it to people like me? Okay, so so our recruiting firm, we did about 2.5 million last year, right? Uh -huh. And so- are you selling it to people like me, small business owners that want to take it to 7 million, or are you selling it to the coach who's going to come help me or both? Um, we have three ways that you can interact with the material. So for you, you, you could choose as a, as a CEO, you could choose the self-directed. Um, so we have a lot of material, including the books where you can kind of teach okay. it yourself and, and apply it. We okay. have co uh, coach supported. So we have coaches that go through a structured program basically okay. a year long program. That's a year long. A, okay. All right. Yeah. It's a year long structured program. This is not flavor of the month. This is every <laughs> month you're working on, on your business in a very structured manner. And then we have advisor led advisor led is the most, you know, intense, uh, most comprehensive where maybe you and your management team <clears throat> are going through sessions with an advisor um, focused on one area and going deep into that area for your business. So kind of that three levels, based on somebody's budget and kind of their personal, uh, you know, style of working on their business. Are you targeting a certain size company and revenue and people? And are you targeting certain industries and focusing on service level businesses? Yeah, it's a good, good questions. Our, our, our methodology is based on research of over 1500 small, mid-sized businesses. So it, it's, the methodology and the discoveries that came out of that are industry agnostic. So okay. the methodology applies to any industry, uh, okay. product, you know, service, you know, whatever. Um, the methodology itself is uh, covers, uh, it's based on the number of employees. You're, the stage you're in is based on the number of employees. I that, see. You know, I see. Okay. And it goes from one employee to 350 employees. Okay. So that's kind of our target market. Now, some companies that, Maybe they're 500. Typically, when you're to get to 500 or 1,000, you're, you're really a couple operating units that are under one legal umbrella. So yes. you, you can those operating units can use the methodology without any modification uh, for their particular part of that overall corporation as well. Now, okay. Thank you for sharing that. Now, the, the challenge I would think would be you know, companies that are between one and 20 employees that haven't raised any PE or VC money and are living on cash flow that's pretty tight, they'd love <laughs> to have you, but they don't have the money to pay you. How do you deal with that? Well, and that's why we have the the self-directed and coaching uh, okay. uh, offers because, and okay. we're just about ready to, uh, we'll be launching, we're beta testing down in Australia, uh, a new concept called growth groups. And it's essentially coaching, but it's in a peer group kind of a setting. Hmm. And growth groups, uh, again, not the flavor of the month, not a social get-together. This is people who are serious about growing their businesses. 
and um, they come together with like-minded CEOs, share a common methodology in a structured 18-month program that the goal is to get you from whatever stage you're in to the next stage. And that usually means about a doubling of your business. And so um, um, th those are more budget-friendly. Um, even the advisor services really aren't that expensive. We work with stage one to stage two businesses. So stage one is one to 10. Stage two is 11 to 19. Okay. And stage three is 20 to 34 employees. Um, okay. So we, we still work with those kind of businesses. Uh, many of our offerings are, are budget friendly for even that size of business. You said something else that scared me a little bit as an entrepreneur myself, Any, as a small business owner. Anytime somebody tells me 12-month contract, if I hear the words 12-month contract, I'm like, oh, I don't know. 12 months is a long time in the life of a startup. What Do, do you have any shorter versions? <laughs> yeah, we can. We our 12-month our coaching program can be accelerated. So that's our, our, our what we call our steady pace. We've got the... Uh, uh, I can't remember what we call it. We have a clever name for it. Uh, okay. I'll call it quick pace, but you okay. can do that in six months as well. You just kind of, instead of meeting once a month, you meet twice a month and you get through the materials quicker. Um, okay. But there's only so much change you can push into an organization effectively. Yeah, understood. And so there's a balance there. Yeah, understood. No, yeah, I get it. Um, you pay month to month, do you have to pay the whole year up front or how do you bill them? Um, uh, each of our advisors, you know, kind of has some flexibility there, but basically it's you pay as you go. Uh, so if it's a 12-month program, you'd have a typically a 12-month uh, payment schedule. And then the licensee pays you your portion, I guess. That's your model? That's, that's, that's right. They, they pay a fee for using the, the intellectual property. And does the, um, top line, does the top line hit you and then you pay the licensee or does it come the other way? Comes the other way. That keeps us out of the billing collecting. Yeah. They they run their consulting business. They just pay us as they basically we make money when they make money. That's kind of our our model. What if uh they get paid by the client and they don't tell you? They're like, Oh yeah, they never paid me. No, I'm just playing. I you know <laughs> I'm just being cynical. Yeah. No, we, we, we yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Chasing cash is pain pain in the ass. Okay. Yeah, no. We, we, we've got to set up nicely because the IP is so rich in content. They, you know, when they get a new client, they get access to that, that IP for that client. And so there's some nice, uh, what would you call that? Uh, gatekeeping or, you know, okay. You know, Very good. Uh, two kind of two more questions. Two more questions. I'm going to wrap it up um, yep. without giving away your secret sauce. Right. Cause I know this, my next question ties into what you get paid to do for a living. So I don't want to okay. like ask you to give, you know, the whole thing away for free, but you mentioned earlier, there's so many different things that could be wrong on why the growth isn't happening. And it's so true. It could be, it could be people. It could be a process. It could be a product line. It could be, I mean, who knows? There's, there's so many different pieces, right? It's not black and white. And your, your job is you go in there and you're like, okay, let me find which, which one of these chess pieces is not moving in the right direction. Right. I'm sure that you see a pretty common thread, right? You could probably, you could probably overall, you could probably kind of rank them like generally like these three chess pieces are usually, you know, they're like 50% of the time it's these, 20% of the time yeah. it's these. So how would you rank like the top <laughs> one? If you had to force rank, if, if you had to force rank what you see the most often, is it talent? Is it uh, they, they didn't see a revenue? Uh, avenue or they saw the revenue avenue and they aren't executing it. 
Um, you know, what, what is your most common thread you think? Well, let me answer a couple ways. Um, first we see the chess pieces in your analogy is really the elements. So what we, we tend to see is that there are elements that are not on the board. They don't have their rook. Okay. They're missing a few pawns. Okay. Uh, their bishop, you know, they have one bishop instead of two. So we look at it, not at those, what are the surface symptoms you're seeing? What's the most common one? What we're looking at is what element are you missing that mm. it, it is underneath and that's causing these surface uh, challenges. Mm. Our methodology actually identifies the five most common challenges you will face as a business owner based on your stage of growth. And that's just part of our methodology that's available on our website. And so you just go and uh, we've got a, a tool called the matrix, the stages of growth matrix, and it has all this information on there. You can download it from our website. Um, so we've already gone through the research to say, what are the five most common challenges? But, and it's good to know the challenges and be able to name them because you have to be able to name your enemy to defeat your enemy, right? So you have to know who your enemy is. And so it, that's a good place to start. But usually just knowing the enemy is not enough. You have to understand what's going on underneath. And so uh, what we've developed, uh, you see this because of my background in technology and data and all this stuff that we kind of led up to here. Um, we've developed an analytical tool that actually takes some input from an assessment that you do online. And it shows you where you're misaligned to what you need to be doing for your stage of growth and what elements what are the top five elements that you need to focus on? So it gives you a, a very uh, clear to-do list. And you can then go and tackle those on your on your own, self-directed. You can get a coach to help you. You can get an advisor to help you. We want to be helping businesses, um, regardless of if that's our team that's helping you or you're using our methodology on your own. Um, so we have an assessment that does that. But <clears throat> if I step back and answer the question you've asked is what what is typically missing it's not really the challenges i'm focused on what's typically missing um it changes based on your stage of growth because the need for each element it kind of changes you know as it would make sense you know if you have 350 employees the elements and structures that you need there are different than if you have 20. but i would say across the board uh having a weak business model, really architecting your business so it's resilient and profitable, that is the one element that is missing in, in virtually every business that we interact with. Okay. Um, it may not be the top element. It may not be causing the most pain, but it is causing pain in virtually every business. Um, and it's often one of the top three elements missing in a business and uh and, yeah and yeah. and so we we, we have a, a book uh called business model and okay you know we didn't come up clever names it's it is what it is it's the business model <laughs> I like and it, uh and you you go uh, get that book and it, it helps you understand what business model means you know because it's such a it's a bit of a vague term it is people use it to mean different things we, we've just really put it into some very tangible things if you if you fix your business model if you strengthen your business model I would say, and this applies to a startup who's just, or somebody who's even thinking about launching a business. Think about your business model. You have your business plan. You may have your marketing plan, but your business model is kind of the thing that ties all that together. 
understanding what business you're in, who you serve, how you're going to make money, how you uh, different structures like your staffing, um, all different kinds of things like that all add up to having this strong business model. And you so know, that, that would, would be the element I would say is the the most prevalent. Appreciate you sharing that. I would, I would almost guess a big part of the reason the business models aren't solidified up front is because a few folks get together, they have this idea, they, they, they throw it out to the marketplace. They start making a little bit of money. They start making a little bit of money. Mm -hmm. They're like, Oh, Oh wow. We have revenue. Cool. Let's open up a checking account. And then, and then they just start going, they just start hustling. Start and, then, and it's like four years later and they're like, what's our model again? What are we doing? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And it's, it's, it's uh, business model by default yeah, or by happenstance <laughs> instead by happenstance, of by design, that's great. Yeah, by design true. right? And it, yeah, it, it totally needs to be true. a conscious, uh, you know, a conscious yeah. decision what business model you are embracing. That's great. Great stuff, Matt. Last thing, uh, last question. What are you going to do with this? Are you looking for another exit now? Like, are you like, oh, now that you've had one big exit, successful exit, is that the plan now? Or is this a long-term lifestyle play for you and Don to just kind of, you know, ride the wave here for 10 years or so. What, what's the plan? Well, um, I, I would say there's two parts of that question. Uh, first is uh, for Rewild Group, uh, we've got several more years of really developing all the methodology. We, the methodology is there, it's working, but there's some refinements. There's some things I'd like to tweak here and there. Okay. We got to get the rest of our, we got five more books to write, that kind of a thing. So I would say, for the next several years, I'm I'm all in. I'm really enjoying it. It really plays to my strength, and uh, we want to see this where this is kind of recognized as one of the top uh, known small and mid-sized business growth methodologies out there. So that's really my my vision to get there. Is there an exit in the future? Well, at some point, everything's for sale. You know, the right offer, sure. sure. Um, and I suspect at some point that that happens. Um, on the second side, though, is it's not enough since I'm I like the intellectual side. Dawn's more that hands on. Um, what we decide is we we don't want to just make money through the methodology. We want to make money by using the methodology. We've gone through all this hard work to figure out all this. So um, that's why uh, about 18 months ago, uh, we bought a commercial welding business. I, and I love, um, I love it. I, and that was and a we're great move. Great move. It, it, we're we're applying it. We believe, uh, and we want to get. In, I would like to buy a few more uh, businesses in the trades and in those kind of areas. Um, yes. Yes. Great. But move. we're applying the methodology, and what we're seeing is amazing results. Right. So. Yep. I, I told Don, Don, I don't think you've ever even said the word welding in your life. And now you're the CEO of, <laughs> of a welding business. And we're one of the top welding companies. We we, we bought an existing business, a 20-year-old uh, welding business, Great. Um, had three people in it, maybe a maybe a million dollars top on, on the top line is a good year, best year kind of a thing. That's fantastic, Matt. Congratulations. Yeah, we'll, 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 we've doubled that the first year and we think we'll double again the second year. You know what? Using I know this, this methodology. I know this really cool small boutique recruiting firm that can help you find welders. I mean, just, I'm just okay. saying. Well, that's, that's, that was <laughs> one of the questions uh, I asked. <laughs> hey, um, for the listeners, rewildgroup.com. Do you want to mention the welding company? Let's, uh, 
Yeah, what's the um, URL? I'll, I'll what's mention website? one other URL. For books, we, we create a very easy. It's books.rewildgroup.com. That takes you to our uh, author page, and there's a bunch of books there. Uh, again, they're they're written to be read in an hour and practical. You can use them with your team. You can learn from them yourself. Very hands-on. And then, uh, yeah, our, our, our business, uh, we, we like kind of general names. So the name of our, our, our URL for our is commercialweldingusa.com, commercialweldingusa.com. And, commercial, uh, commercial, uh, as in um, um, residential, big residential projects, or only commercial buildings. What do you, what do you do? Yeah, we focus on commercial industrial uh, welding applications. You know, historically okay. we were a pipe welding shop. Uh, we do structural as well. So, um, just okay. really high end, um, you know, sophisticated welding metal fabrication is what we do.